Hello, everybody. Hey, guys. So for this week's episode, Maddie and I are extremely excited to get this episode out and going. A lot of you guys know about Ken Goodman. He is the man who wrote the Emetophobia Manual, and he'll definitely do a little better introduction to him and who he is and what he does and all of that stuff. But we are also joined with Sierra, which is one of his clients, and she has emetophobia and um, don't really know much more. So we'll definitely chat about her story and all of that good stuff. Okay, let's see. To start this episode off, let's just say, Ken, do you want to go ahead and explain how you discovered emetophobia? Because I know you don't have it yourself. That is correct. I do not have it myself, but I have worked with so many patients over the years who have it. I feel like when I talk to people with emetophobia, and I always get this comment when people read the book, I feel like you're reading my mind. In fact, I just got an email from someone yesterday who said that. But I never struggled with myself. In fact, I, and I talk about this in my book, get motion sickness. And so I have frequently thrown up over the years due to motion. Mm Um, including on planes, so don't sit next to me. Although I rarely <laughs> throw up on a plane. It's happened once, so it's possible. Yeah. But I started uh, this because I had some clients who had emetophobia, and so at the Anxiety and Depression Association of America conference, I spoke on the topic to other therapists mm-hmm. at a workshop, and then I was asked to write an article on the subject. So I wrote this article for their website, ADAA.org. And that article received more response than any other article on their massive website. More than panic disorder, more than social anxiety, more than any other article. And then from there, they asked me to do a webinar. So I did a webinar that got a lot of response. And then I did another webinar. And and then I realized that, well, there's no books out there on the subject. So why don't I write a book? Yeah, And so I just started that process and took a while. And, you know, over time, I just acquired more and more clients with emetophobia. And as I was writing the book, I was working with clients and my work with them mm-hmm. was incorporated in the book and it just sort of blossomed from there. Yeah. Firsthand experience with the clients writing the book. Yep. <laughs> firsthand. Um, can I ask what... If you remember, what year was the first, um, I think you said the conference that you talked at? Yes. Spoke at? Oh, boy. I honestly, it could have been, I'm so bad at these kind of things. Um, I'm going to say maybe, (laughs) boy, with COVID and everything, it throws me off. It could have been eight years ago, 10 years ago, perhaps. Yeah. Six years ago. A while ago. That was six years ago. Somewhere between six and 10. (laughs) somewhere around that that time yeah. frame yeah because emetophobia it really it has blown up recently with um tiktok and like instagram and twitter etc but beforehand like six-ish years ago even five-ish years ago no one really knew what it was so i'm sure you talking to you know talking at those conferences really just opens people's minds and people are like oh i have that i have mm-hmm. that which is awesome um sierra how did you find out about emetophobia and how did your emetophobia develop? I guess. I feel like I've always had it even since I was a little kid. I was always the oddball. I can specifically remember every single time my siblings ever threw up 
but I myself yeah. have never thrown up that I can recall, even since I was little. So it's oh. kind of a fear of the unknown, but I know it's unpleasant because yeah. my sister would get sick from literally saying the word booger. Um, she just had a really strong oh gag reflex, and I was traumatized growing up with it. I didn't realize I really had it until I turned 18. I had like mm-hmm. increased anxiety for some reason, and it started with motion sickness, and then it just escalated to this horrible fear that left me housebound for a few months of my life when I was supposed to be out at college enjoying everything. And it ebbs and flows, but over the last year, I've made a lot of good progress, I feel like. We, Maddie and I relate to that so much. I haven't gotten sick since I was like seven, maybe seven years old, and I'm 22 now, so I'm on the same page. The fear of the unknown will take over. (laughs) It will definitely take over. So kind of going off of your story, Sierra, do you want to explain, like, do you have any other, if you feel comfortable, of course, um, but do you have any other mental health related struggles or is it just emetophobia and that growing from your sister or? Um, Mostly it's emetophobia. I do have history of just um, abusive relationships in the past that I feel like intensified the phobia because it intensified the anxiety, but I feel like everything stems around mm-hmm. the emetophobia aspect and created a lot of social anxiety yeah. because of it. Yeah, yeah. How did you How did you meet Ken Goodman? How did you find out about Ken Goodman? I joined a Facebook group through Anna Christie's mm-hmm. website, um, and okay. it was not her Facebook group, but a different one. And I feel like it did way more harm than good. So I decided to join her emetophobia recovery group. And from there, I reached out on the platform. And I was like, who knows of an emetophobia therapist? I will do anything and everything. I'm starting a hospital job. I'm going to be working in the ICU. I need to handle vomit left and right. I can't be taken over by this fear anymore. And somebody recommended Ken. And it turned out we lived close by. I was able to go in person at first. And then I moved away. And we still continue to see each other. And it's been literally life-saving. Yeah, just as Sierra was very determined to uh, be my client, she was also very determined to overcome emetophobia and has worked incredibly hard Mm -hmm. and has done an exceptional job and is really um, living her life, you know, fairly normally, I would say, with some, you know, some anxieties and some thoughts and worries, but is doing a fabulous job. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like, well, not, I feel like I I know that if you want to recover or you're, you know, you're reaching out to a therapist or professional help, you have to have, it has to be more than just, I want to recover. It's more so like I need to recover. I need, like, I'm willing to do anything it takes to get to that point where this is gone or very close to being gone, but it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot stronger than just someone help me. You know what I mean? And by the way, we did uh, change my client's name. We're using the name Sierra. That is not her real name. We just want to protect her identity. Yeah. Going off of the whole, like you have to get to a point where you, you're willing to do anything. I feel like I have experience of that with that, where in the beginning of my, you know, kind of a metaphobia journey where it was affecting my whole life. My parents like put me in therapy and I just wasn't, I was like, nobody can help me. I didn't really want to help myself because I was just like too scared. And eventually I 
found the motivation because I was tired of living my life how I was and really not leave it living it at all. And it's kind of like, you know, you can't, somebody can't help you if you're not willing to help yourself at the same mm-hmm. time. Like you also have to put in the work. Um, like it's not easy. It's not easy to overcome this. It's not easy to deal with it, but you know. You have to be determined yeah. and you, but you don't have to be yeah. confident. You don't have to feel mm-hmm. hopeful. You just have to do the work. Like Sierra, yeah. were you, were you confident when we first started? Did you feel like this is going to work? I was hopeful. I honestly you? didn't okay, well, know. Okay, that's good. It's it is helpful to be hopeful. Yeah. All I had was hope and uh, like dedication to do the work. I mean, I was putting in several hours a day when I had the time to watch exposure videos and read Ken's book and really focus on unplanned exposures to getting to that point just so I could like really improve myself. I went from like I said being housebound to I just traveled to Iceland um a few months ago and passenger in a car, eating foods I've never tried before, eating on the plane ride, not taking any safety behaviors with me and it was incredible. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's really awesome that you were able to do that. Oh my gosh. That's mind blowing to me. To think about you can get to that place again. You can- Particularly going to Iceland, you probably had to take like three planes yeah. to get there. Yeah, two planes each way. Um, beforehand, I would oh not eat for 10 hours. I would take motion sickness medicine. I would take Zofran, ginger chews, chew gum for the whole 10 hours straight, not sleep, not watch anything, have to sit in the aisle or in the window. I had all of these rituals and safety behaviors. And then we went into it, my partner and I, and I was like, I don't care where we sit. I don't care what we do. Let's bring snacks. And it was baby steps. The first flight, I only ate two bites of a granola bar. And then by the second flight, I was eating gummy bears and just like eating all the sugary stuff that I would be afraid of before that would make me sick. And it was just fun. It was fun testing myself. I'm like, how far can I push myself before I get anxiety? And yeah, I've never been like that before. And then you... And then you come out of it so proud of yourself and just like, wow, I did yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, Ken, you feel amazing seeing your clients grow from, like she said, housebound to literally traveling across the country and exploring. It's really so, such, it's so gratifying, actually, to see people mm-hmm. who are just such good people and just wonderful people who have so much to bring to this world that I can help mm-hmm. them and then they can help other people. Like Sierra works in a hospital. Mm-hmm. So by me helping her, yeah. she's now able to help other people. Sierra, where did you, you said you work in a hospital, but I think, did you say ICU or? Yeah, I'm a speech pathologist. So I do feeding and swallowing okay. and inpatient when people come out of uh, traumatic brain injuries and comas and off the ventilators oh gosh, and yeah. stuff and with medications and with all the head injuries they've been through, throwing up is like a given. And I don't know why I always want to put myself in stressful situations, but this is what I wanted to do ever since I was little. And so I literally had a patient today that was belching the whole time. And she has a history of regurgitating her food. And I literally had to hold the emesis bag for her in case it happened. And I'm like, wow, look at this. I've had someone spontaneously throw up, um, right in front of me. And I was like, wow, I did turn away for a second. And then I was like, you know what? Nope. And I turned back around and I helped her through it. I laid her down yeah. on the table and I'm like, a year ago, I would have been straight out of the room and quit my job and never came back. 
That's awesome. Yeah, Maddie works in. Maddie, do you want to explain what you do? Yeah, I work um, at a hospital here in women's health. And so we see a lot of, you know, pregnant patients. And with that comes, you know, people throwing up. And luckily, I well, I've only been working there like five months now. But luckily, I haven't seen anyone throw up. But I'm sure it'll happen. And, you know, yeah, I'll deal with it when it happens. And you'll talk about it on air. Yes, yeah. I will. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people who reach out to the Instagram page and they just say, like, I have this dream job of either working in the hospital or, like, I don't know, having kids someday, too. Um, but they don't even want to have kids or have their dream job because of this fear. So it is reassuring to hear Sierra's story where she's talking about how she's managing it so well and living a normal life. You know, it's another hard job yeah. if you have a metaphobia. What? being an elementary school teacher. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Can't imagine. I work with toddlers, so it is a struggle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it, it's good for exposure, you know? Like, my little, my little boy that I watch, he has gotten sick on my watch, and it's great exposure. And although I hate the experience, it's really good in the long mm-hmm. run. Yeah. Um, and at one chapter, I think towards maybe the middle, towards the end of the book, you talk about Q or you show some QR codes that you can scan for exposure. Do you want to chat about exposure, how exposure can be good? Well, exposures like are th- things that you face that make you feel anxious, uncomfortable, or uncertain. There's planned mm-hmm. and unplanned ones. So an example of a planned exposure would be looking at pictures or videos of people throwing up. And those can be done in a step-by-step fashion where you start with the easiest and you work your way up to the hardest. But mm-hmm. life doesn't necessarily work that way. And sometimes it throws you curveballs and suddenly you're, there's an unplanned exposure. Like yeah. you've just had um, lunch with a good friend and the friend calls you the next day and says, I've had the stomach flu. And you're like, I just ate lunch with you yesterday. And now am I going to get the stomach flu? Or perhaps you eat something and then you realize that maybe that wasn't, you know, cooked well enough. And so these unplanned Mm -hmm. exposures happen and those are also opportunities to improve. And um, you have to look at them as opportunities. Typically, the normal response is to look at them as sources of anxiety, which they are. They definitely are. But hopefully Mm -hmm. if you read the book then you can look at them as this is an opportunity to practice and further yourself and make um, bigger strides. And if you use the tools and strategies in the book, I think you can, you can make huge strides. And Sierra is an example of that. And there's a lot of other people are examples of that. I have a, a big waiting list. Um, one of the things that I have considered doing and I'm planning on doing is trying to get more people in, not for necessarily private, but for groups. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to be offering three different kinds of groups, starting off with a group for people between the ages of 17 and 24. So these are people who are graduating high school, maybe they're in college, right after college. So it's for that age group. Another group is going to be for parents of young children because that can be a very triggering thing having children going off to school and coming home and 
Yeah. Do they have germs and are they going to get sick? So it's for parents of young children. And then third group is going to be, uh, and those, those are going to be groups that people have to pay for. And those are going to be information on my website and you can sign up for those groups. And there's going to be a third group for, uh, and that's going to be offered for free. It's going to be a 10 week group. The catch is it's going to be recorded and then offered for sale. So you can do the group for free. You're giving up your, your anonymity because people will see you. So that's the trade-off. And I'll, you know, throw in a, a private consultation session, a one private consultation session for free. So if, if someone is interested in doing that, they'll be able to do the group for free for 10 weeks, but then have to understand that, you know, that recording will be seen by who knows how many people. So people can go to my website, kengoodmantherapy.com and look for those and uh, sign up and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'll definitely link the website in the description box for this podcast episode. So if you're listening and you're interested and you didn't catch the website, just check the description and I'll have it there. Um, but kind of going off of your your therapy, are you taking new clients right now? Or is it, I think someone reached out to the Instagram page a few weeks ago and basically said what Sierra was explaining about, like, I need a therapist, any therapist. Um I don't care how much it costs, et cetera. And I believe she lived out of the country, out of America. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to be one of your clients, but I don't think you were taking new clients. So I am taking clients, but I'm, but it's, you know, I, I'm being a little bit selective um, and there is a waiting list. So if someone's case is severe and they're, for instance, a very low weight they're not eating, you know, maybe once a week therapy isn't going to be helpful. You know, then you might need a yeah. higher level of care. But I have a wait list. So if someone is interested, they can certainly contact me and I can at least add them to the wait list. Currently, the wait list is three or four months. Okay, that's awesome. For anyone listening, if you're interested, yeah. she. I think she did like some quick research and it said, I don't know what she found, but it said something like but that. But people can also find therapists through the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So it's ADAA.org and you can search by your state. Anyone Mm -hmm. who is a member of that organization has a specialty in anxiety disorders. Their knowledge of emetophobia, I don't know, you'd have to ask them, but that would be a good place to start. Yeah, that is a good place. I have a a question for you, Ken, that kind of goes into this. Um, If somebody has you know, let's say that situation where they're like, I just need somebody like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I need somebody that's going to understand my emetophobia. I know not every therapist, you know, knows about emetophobia, but how helpful, or I guess how much do like therapy for any phobia really? Like, is it, I guess what I'm saying is like, is the treatment for that and the therapy for any phobia the same as like for emetophobia, like exposure and. Uh, oh, so is the is the treatment for emetophobia similar to other phobias? Yeah, like can you go to somebody that understands phobias in general, but may not know exactly what emetophobia is, and would that be pretty helpful? So you can you have to find someone who specializes in the treatment of anxiety. So it's very easy to find that type of person. You just go to their website. And you can see what they talk about. If they talk about all different kinds of anxieties, 
and they do not talk about things like marital therapy and depression and eating disorders and couples counseling, then you at least that's a good place to start. But if someone on their website is talking about all different kinds of things under the sun, that they don't specialize anxiety, even if anxiety is included in their long list of things that they treat. So you want to find someone who specializes in anxiety. And then you can ask them, how much experience do you have with emetophobia? Do you, you know, have you ever treated emetophobia? And if, if they have, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the type of treatment that you, that you do? It's, it'd be nice to have someone who has some knowledge of it. But I mean, the treatment is, is, is similar, but it's very specific for emetophobia. So at least they would have to maybe work with my book if you really can't find one who doesn't know anything about emetophobia, yeah. but they should at least yeah. specialize in anxiety disorders. Yeah, I was reading your website um, a couple of days ago and on your website, it said the book is really good to do alongside therapy um, because it, I guess it can be like a workbook. I don't know. It kind of helps out mm-hmm. in a deeper level. I don't know. There's just there. If you haven't read the book and you're listening, I've talked about it many times on the Instagram page, but it is such an amazing book. And for those of you you know, you know, listening, you can't see, but I have many different tabs just while I'm reading, I just mark and it's almost like every single page. I'm just like marking something because it's so educational and it just helps. Ciara, did you read it before we met? I can't remember. Yes. I was on your wait list. I remember reaching out and you said, you just need to sign up. And I'm like, as soon as you get something, like, let me in, even if it's just a one-time session, let me in. And you recommended getting your book and I literally ordered it after we got off the phone and I read probably half of it before we started sessions and it was helpful for me to have like a background first and some prep because I'm a very nerdy person I like to read before Mm -hmm. take notes then go through it again with somebody and then go over it again by myself and I think that's what really helped me is reading the book first I still have it and I have highlighted pages. Um, I go through it every once in a while still just to like remind me of certain things like, oh, is there anything else I can be doing? And yeah, yeah. it was great. Yeah, it's an amazing book. There's one specific thing at the beginning where can you talk about, what's it called? The anxiety monster. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's that you, you just can't listen to that little anxiety monster that's in the back of mm-hmm. your head and you just have to ignore it. And I don't know, it's, it's just an amazing book for us who struggle with this fear and anxiety and honestly, any phobia pretty much. I mean, it's the same aspect. Yeah, I tried to make it very readable and yeah. take... There's a lot of pictures. Pictures and stories awesome. and metaphors and trying to take a yeah. complex problem and make it give you a specific guide to just go through step by step and yeah. yeah um sierra have you tried any therapy prior to your therapy with ken or was he your first oh therapist? you name it i've tried it i've tried hypnotherapy talk therapy with probably uh-huh. at least seven therapists i've tried acupuncture yeah. i even almost did a ketamine therapy to see if that would help and of course i was worried about taking any recreational stuff it was through a guided uh, practice and everything but of course the fear of what if that makes me sick and i realized like yeah. i really just need to stop going around the bush and do exposure therapy like that's going to be the most helpful and 
within a couple of sessions, I already felt better. Like I felt like I had the guidance, whereas with the other therapies, didn't really help. I also tried EMDR, which is like the eye movement, mm-hmm. something, something. Um, and I try, I tried that one too, and it didn't really help. Didn't me. help me at all, unfortunately. Some people say it helps with their emetophobia. Um, it did help with other just past traumas and stuff. But with emetophobia, the only thing I've noticed that helps is exposure therapy, whether it's planned first and then unplanned. And I still push myself to this day to do unplanned exposures. Like I started eating meat again for the first time in seven years once the phobia started. And at first I'm like, well, I can't bring the shredded beef to work. What if it makes my stomach hurt there? I'm like, actually, that's a good idea. Let's bring it to work. Let's try eating Chipotle. And the exposures are so helpful. And now I'm happy because I can actually eat almost like a normal person. So now you're eating meat? Yeah, I've been eating beef the past couple of months and I just tried chicken for the first time in like seven years which is supposed to be on my allergen panel I mean being emetophobic I always thought I had food allergies that's causing it and it was really stress Mm -hmm. and I spent Mm -hmm. hundreds of dollars on this allergen panel and one of the things that came up is chicken and eggs well I've been eating eggs. I feel fine. I'm severely anemic and protein deficient. And I was like, I really need to eat meat. Like this phobia is still causing problems. And I just decided to say F it and tried chicken for the first time. And I'm like, wow, this is good. And I started with two bites. And now I'm like, I could eat this. And I ate more and nothing's happened. I'm still alive and feeling great. So it's just the phobia. So you spent spent 20 some odd years doing safety behaviors avoiding certain many things that's crazy avoiding foods restaurants planes and all because you thought if you did any of those things you would throw up it must have felt like you were doing a fantastic job protecting yourself from vomiting like you're doing everything you could and you were succeeding you weren't throwing up you were doing great except you were miserable and now you've been doing all of these things that you've been avoiding. You've been eliminating all of these safety behaviors. You must be throwing up left and right. Have you been throwing up? <laughs> Not at all. There are times <laughs> <What>? where... <laughs> Which is crazy. <laughs> There's time, definitely times where I still feel that jolt of anxiety. Like, oh, my stomach hurts. I feel sick. And then I'm like, you know what? Let's just sit with it. Before I would chew... I think a pack to two packs of gum per day. I would even chew it in my sleep because I thought it would soothe my stomach. And it's all about retraining my brain right now. Sometimes, like I said, I still get that anxiety. I'm a big proponent of medication if needed for like long-term use, like uh, SSRIs. But overall, I've given up all my safety behaviors. I don't carry around a little mint container anymore with mints and ginger chews and gum and Zofran. I'm work without that I've gone on vacations without bringing anything and I'm like I won't be home for a week and I don't have anything oh well yeah Sierra remind me are you on medication I take Lexapro I'm on um, 15 milligrams and I've gone off of it and took like seven months to go off because I'm super sensitive to medications I'm like let's just see how I feel without it unfortunately it didn't make the emetophobia worse at all it just heightened my anxiety because of all their problems but I went back on I tried a different medication I think it was Prozac 
didn't react well to that. Mm -hmm. And that's an exposure in itself is just trying out different medications, see what works best Mm -hmm. for my body. And I found Lexapro to be the best. I function really well with it. I can function without it, but not as well. And, you know, your body needs what your body needs. And when did you start taking that? Probably at 18. So 18 is when the emetophobia really hit. I got. Oh, so you've been on that for a long time. Yes. And then I went off and then I tried Prozac and then I went off that and then I went back on Lexapro. So I think I've like, yeah, only been on it for seven months. Okay. It's Mm -hmm. a really good example of how medicine can be helpful, but not necessarily curative because it wasn't the Lexapro. It was a combination of the Lexapro and then doing all the work. I kind of equate it to riding a bike. You know, so the the medicine is like the training wheels, right? So the training wheels are there to keep you from falling over. But unless you pedal, you don't learn how to ride that bike. And so the therapy is like pedaling. And so you did a lot of good, you did a lot of good pedaling. And maybe at some point you'll take off the training wheels. You'll slowly come off of Lexapro and see what happens. Yeah, I would love to. I'm not opposed to medication, but then again, I'm very natural homeopathic route if possible. So it would be great too, but I'm not, I used to be very hard on myself for taking medication. Like, oh, you're still a safety behavior. You need this. You're not normal. And then I'm like, it's just what my body needs. I'm lacking serotonin. It's okay. And I finally come to terms with it. I don't care if other people tell me to go off it. I'm like, nope, I'm happy. Yeah, Maddie and I are both on Luxpro, and it helps a ton. Even with anxiety that's not related to emetophobia at all. Like if I'm anxious for a test or something, like it just helps <laughs> for smaller stuff like that. But I have clients who do not take medicine who do get better. So it's not essential. Yeah. It's not like you have to do it. Some people really need it, all, yeah. and other people can do it without medicine. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, medicine will... I mean, 99% of the time it won't cure. It's, it's not a cure all. It's, it just helps. It gives you a little bit of support and, and helps you make the exposures easier. So they're not as hard. Yeah. Sierra, it was interesting when you mentioned meat because I, I don't really have struggles with food. Um, but Maddie hasn't had me in who knows how long. Do you want to explain that, Maddie? I don't want to expose you if you don't want to talk about it. (laughs) No, so I I stopped eating meat, gosh, it might have been like five years ago now. And my New Year's resolution for this year was to start eating meat again. And I'm like, oh gosh, we're almost to April and I haven't even thought about it. (laughs) And I'm terrified. I think, you know, part of it is that it's not going to be cooked all the way and I'll get sick from that. But I think the biggest thing of it now is the fact that I haven't had it in so long that I'm scared how my body will react starting eating meat again. So how did you start eating meat again? Cause that's what I, I've heard so many things about. Oh, I got so sick and it was horrible. And I'm like, okay, well I'm going to take one tiny bite. And I guess that's just going to be how I start because I don't you know. You can start with a lick. Just, yeah. <laughs> remember, people eat beef raw. It's not like chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you can, if if Steak. you need to start with a lick, just start with a lick. Give the give the hamburger a kiss. <laughs> the other day, I was helping my mom shred some chicken, and I think that honestly helped. Just like having it was full, it was like a rotisserie chicken, mm-hmm. so it was fully cooked. But like I hadn't even touched meat in so long, and so I think just that's a good exposure. Sierra, what did you do? 
I, even as a kid, I didn't like eating meat. I was so weird. I would want veggie burgers left and right. So maybe I had the phobia before I even realized it was a thing. But I'm a cyclist and just started becoming an ultra runner. And my body does not get enough protein. I can try with protein shakes. Stomach doesn't really like those. I don't digest them well. And I just decided, okay, you know, I kind of miss beef. And I only want shredded beef. I don't want steak. I don't want burgers. It's like, so I'm eating foods and incorporating different meat products that I actually crave rather than forcing myself to. Mm -hmm. I did force myself to cook raw shrimp and eat it. And that was definitely scary because I'm always afraid of the food poisoning that goes along with it. But I haven't gotten Mm -hmm. sick. And I started just with a bite the first day. I took a digestive enzyme supplement just to make sure because it's scary. Your body's not used to it. And then I was like, whoa, this tastes really good. And then the next day I had like (laughs) a few, four or five bites. And then I went to Arizona from California. So I flew on a plane and I was like, I have to eat meat. It's my grandma's birthday. It's a German feast. We eat sauerbraten, which is shredded beef. And I eat Mm-hmm. more meat than I have in my entire life and I was like oh I didn't take my digestive enzyme either let's see what happens and I was fine like you're it's all about like we'll see what happens yes yeah. and you have to be in that mindset Everything you is... haven't eaten meat in years I think you said yes. seven or eight years seven or eight years I've always so uh, you know people will say that if you if you haven't had meat in a long time and you have meat it's going to cause you to throw up no just do it slow Just do it slowly. Just take one bite. I even went to Chipotle, which is like a huge food poisoning place. People are like, oh, Chipotle messes up your stomach. And I got shredded beef and I ate half of it one day and half of it the next day, even at work. And it's like, "Eh, we'll see if I get food poisoning. Maybe I can go home from work early. Right. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. I... I've no, like when I first started stopped eating meat, I had no interest in it. I had no, I was like, wasn't craving it. But recently, like within the past six months, I'm like, oh, I want some chicken nuggets. I want a turkey sandwich. I want a burger. And I've just been craving it, but I'm, I'm stopping myself from eating it. And I'm like, why am I doing that? If I'm, if I'm craving something, why don't like give my body what it wants? So, yeah. Well, I expect then by the time you guys do your next podcast you'll have something good to report on how you you, you uh, tried it took one bite you gotta do it maddie you gotta it do just it might be a tiny bite but i'll do something <laughs> you gotta do it okay so chatting you know with sierra about you know 10 years therapy and everything i've kind of gathered that your therapy is more i'm assuming more so just exposure, just getting out there, being uncomfortable, being okay with being uncomfortable? Or do you also do like any EMDR, CBT, or is it just... So it's heavily CBT, absolutely, uh, as well. And EMDR only if someone has some sort of a trauma, whether it's a vomiting trauma or any other sort of trauma, because that's really what EMDR was meant to be for. I think people use it for other reasons too, but... I only use it for, for trauma. Yeah. So people, any sort of vomiting trauma or any other trauma, but otherwise, yes, a lot of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy, as well as acceptance commitment therapy, which is a Mm -hmm. lesser known therapy. It's all about acceptance and accepting um, the things you can't control, like, you know, 
people with emetophobia have a lot of physical symptoms. They have a lot of IBS and you have to mm-hmm. really accept those physical symptoms. You have to accept the nausea, accept the stomach distress and learn to not be afraid of it. Yeah. I always say you have to become okay with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's it's being uncomfortable is such a good thing for your body, even without anxiety. Like that's why people jump out of planes because it's uncomfortable and they get the best results. Mm-hmm. Got to become okay with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's how you grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think Sierra, you suffered with quite a bit of physical distress, right? When we first started, what kind of physical symptoms were you having? My stomach was nauseated every single day. Um, I even clearly remember my first session with Ken, which was almost a year ago now. And I met with him in the office. And at first I was already freaked out. It's on the second floor of an office building. And with me, I don't really have claustrophobia, but I'm like, what if I feel sick? What if he makes me throw up in his office? Like, I didn't know what to expect. And I was freaked out. And I'm like, you know what? Nope, I'm going to do it. It's okay. And I get into the building with him. And then another thing with me is just like, I'm not comfortable with nails just in general because he's past trauma. And I'm like, I'm with a guy in a room. What's going to happen? And Ken was super understanding. I felt no stress in the session. It was really nice. And the first thing he makes me do is he pulls this old gross candy out of his bag and he says, eat this. And I'm like, you are crazy. I'm not eating candy from basically a stranger. I don't know how old it is. It was a sour warhead. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I could be allergic to this. I could be sick from this. I don't know how old it is. It's probably past the expiration date. It looked gross. It looked like it was sitting in there for years. And I'm like, you know what? I pushed myself to come to this appointment. I pushed myself to sit in a room with somebody I don't know. I pushed myself to admit that I have this phobia. What's What else can go wrong? Absolutely nothing. And I ate it. And even he was hesitant at first. He's like, well, if you're allergic, you shouldn't do it. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm fine. If I get sick, at least I'm in the right place. And I was fine. And that was like, the first thing that really helped me, like you really need to push yourself in uncomfortable positions because it may be. But do you remember why I gave you that warhead? Um, do, you, do you remember the reason? <laughs> There's a reason there. No, I was too fixated on why I was having okay, to do be, that. I will tell you because <laughs> when you are, you're sucking on a warhead, it's very sour and you have to keep sucking on this warhead and after i don't know 30 seconds a minute it becomes it be, it starts to become sweet and yeah. so the whole idea is to tolerate the discomfort until you get to the sweet part right so it was learning a lesson of tolerating and accepting the discomfort and pushing through even if you want to spit it out i thought you were going to say um you do the warhead thing because you're so focused on it being sour that it takes away from the panic that you're feeling, which I mean, that would work too, I guess, you know, right. distract your mind. But anyway, what are we going to say? I want, I want to know now, was it actually like expired and old? Okay. So <laughs> I don't know if there's an expiration date on them, but I do know this in that That's after there, you know, it's built, it's, it's a hard candy that yeah. has a sour coating on it. And I guess it's sort of melted. So 
Sarah, do you remember pulling off the plastic and it was sticking to the candy and it was difficult to get off? Yes, it was stringy and sticking and I'm looking yep. at it yeah, and that's looking at him mm. and I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, You're like, what kind of therapist are you? But that's when I realized it was real. Like he pushed yeah. me on day one. It wasn't just, oh, let's talk. Let's learn about your childhood. Like, yes, all those things matter. Mm. But with this phobia... You just need to be like willing to commit and putting yeah. in the hard work. Yeah. And if you don't do that from day one, to me, it's like, I wanted to be willing and committed and prove it to him. And by proving it to him, I could prove it to myself. Yeah. You got to face it right then and there. You got to face it. But everyone it. does it at their own pace. And so you're the one yeah. that decides how quickly or slowly you go, what steps you take. So, but you got to take the steps. So with therapy, um, the goal is to, overcome the fear have you had patients Ken that I don't know they just weren't able to overcome the fear or maybe they gave up have you experienced people like giving up so yeah people can give up I think my Mm -hmm. track record is pretty good I've seen a lot of Mm -hmm. people over the years get better most of the people do get better there are some people that have co- occurring disorders, whether they're, you know, pretty severe medical disorders or mental health disorders that make the, their progress more challenging. And, you know, if you have depression and you're not motivated to do the work, then how are you going to get better? Or if you really need to be on medicine and are too anxious to get on the medicine and that's really what's needed, then you're not going to get better either. Um, there are some people that their weight is too low and they're not, mm-hmm. they're not eating enough for me to help them or they need more than once a week. Cause I'm only providing once a week and some people need more than that. And so they need to be in, in therapy with a program like a, an OCD anxiety program, uh, or maybe they need to be in a residential program. So yeah, there are yeah. some people, but I, cause I'm only providing once a week coaching. Yeah, I've talked about, like I said, on the Instagram page, I've talked about your book and your work multiple times, like a a dozen times. And I have not heard a single negative, bad, anything not good on your practice, your work in the book. It's always been positive things, which is awesome. (laughs) I'm happy to hear that. And And I have a monthly support group for my clients only. And mm-hmm. someone recently asked, you know, how many, cause you know, you start this process and you're very skeptical. You don't feel like you're going to ever get better. And why would you? Because you've been suffering like this for your entire life. So there's no reason to feel confident, but someone did ask, well, how many people here are 50% better than when they started? And I don't know, a whole bunch of people, including Sierra raised their hand. And I think that helped the person to feel better. Like, okay. There's the majority of people here are at least 50% better. So Sierra, what would you say you are in terms of percentage? At least 50% better. I'm not going to lie and say I'm 100%. I still have days. Um, I have a lot of symptoms, which I think we were talking about earlier. I get stomach upset easily, just stressed easily. I have reflux, um, this and that. But when I look back, I'm like, I've made significant progress. I'm traveling the world again. I'm not relying on safety behaviors. I'm a passenger in a car down windy roads. I recently ran a 31 mile trail run race with 
no food, no training. And I'm like, well, I have to eat the food that's at the aid stations. I hope it doesn't hurt my stomach. And just was like, yeah, whatever. I'm fine. And that would not have been going to restaurants. Yeah. Right. Lots of things. Yeah. I've made significant progress and it's because I put in the hard work and I had someone mentoring me and that was Ken. Like I definitely couldn't have done it with just an average therapist with not um, like no exposure training therapy. And who knows about emetophobia too. Yeah. So people can get better. You just have to be really motivated and have the right guidance. And if I can't get to you, I can at least read the book and take it step by step. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good guide. Um, I've had a therapist before, four-ish months ago maybe. I told them I told her about emetophobia and that I struggle with emetophobia, and it was a awful reaction, an awful reaction. Um, I don't remember because I kind of blocked it on my mind, but it was that kind of stumped me for a little bit. I was like, ooh, I don't know if I should try therapy again right now. What was the reaction? It was horrible. I think she told me that. My gosh, I, I seriously blocked it out of my memory, but I remember telling my mom. My mom is, she's working on her master's program right now to become an LCSW. So she's very familiar with your work and everything. But I told her and she was like, yeah, no, you're not seeing that therapist ever mm-hmm. again. Oh my gosh, I don't remember. It was just like. Well, whatever. Oh, it didn't sit yeah, well. It was bad. <laughs> yeah, my mom is, a, you know, she's working on her master's program right now. And when I told her about this book, she bought it for me immediately this book off Amazon, which you can purchase the Metaphobia Manual off Amazon. She bought it for me immediately. And she, she like was reading the reviews and everything. And she was like, I am in, not, I was gonna say I'm in love with Kengo. Like she, she was in love with your work. And that just made me feel so much better about like reading the book and being more vulnerable and taking the advice that everything had, which is awesome. Yeah. I love the, the, the people that write reviews are super helpful because it just gives, I mean, I don't buy products on Amazon unless I see good reviews. So mm-hmm. it's really helpful for people. So if you feel like the book was helpful, please write a review. And if you feel like it wasn't yes. helpful, then don't write a review. <laughs> <laughs> just leave that out. <laughs> good That's reviews funny. only. <laughs> okay, well, there's one thing that I want to ask, I guess for anyone, this anyone can answer this, but let's say, you know, you have an OCD behavior kind of you know, similar to OCD, but you have an excessive behavior of like constant hand washing. How would you go about limiting your hand washing? Would you just, just the mental battle? You're just telling yourself constantly like, nope, like wait it out a little bit, just constantly battling with your mind or. So if someone has OCD, because people with emetophobia have compulsions and they have obsessions. Yes. Compulsions. Yeah. But if you have OCD, and I can tell the difference. It makes it mm-hmm. much more complicated. So that you asked a question earlier about people that don't get better. And sometimes people with severe OCD have a really, really hard time because they, they cannot stop washing their hands or they cannot stop doing the checking or all the, the germ stuff mm-hmm. that, that they do based with once a week therapy. So they need much yeah. more intensive work but if someone does not have OCD and they but they have these compulsive behaviors and they have these obsessions they can actually stop doing them they can stop doing the hand washing they're they're capable of doing it um, with with some of the strategies that I talk about in the book but if you have OCD you probably need additional help 
Yeah, you can tell the difference from someone with OCD versus someone who's just getting in their head about both. Yeah, maybe not after one visit, but after a little bit of time, yeah. you can tell. You can tell. You know, when someone goes to a professional or someone in the professional field to get diagnosed, I always recommend them to go to like a psychologist or, um, I mean, you can go to a doctor, but doctors more so in my experience kind of just try and do treatment treatment like here's here's what you need or like I've had doctors who diagnose me with anything that I say like I'll say I think I may have IBS even though it's just anxiety they'll diagnose me with IBS um so it's it's good to go to like a therapist a psychologist someone who can like really get to know you on a deeper level have those consistent Mm -hmm. weekly meetings and yeah psychiatrist will be able to diagnose any sort of mental health yeah issue my last thing for uh, you Sierra and Ken is like if you had if you could say one thing to somebody that's struggling with emetophobia doesn't know what to do feels so alone feels you know like there's no hope what would you say I would say that it can and will get easier if you want it to but you really have to want it growing up I thought I wanted it but I didn't give it enough perseverance and dedication Mm -hmm. and once I truly decided that I need my life to change, it has changed. It's really about that willpower. In addition to that, because you, you definitely need that because there's going to be difficult times on your journey and setbacks. And if you don't have that desire, you know, you have a setback and then you give up and you can't give up, but you have to also have the right strategy and you have to understand the strategy and be able to implement the strategies. And if you can implement, if you can understand the strategies and implement them and also have that drive that, okay, I'm not giving up attitude, even when I experience setbacks, Mm -hmm. then you can beat this. Yeah. You just have to have the, you have to be tired of dealing with it every single day. You gotta, Mm -hmm. it's gotta be deeper than that. Well, I want to thank you guys both for coming on here and chatting with us. I am so excited to get this podcast out. I know. Everyone's going to love it. Well, thank you for inviting us. I really appreciate it. Of thank course. You. Yeah, of course. course. Well, for everyone listening, we Maddie and I will see you guys next week. And yeah. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Go buy the Metaphobia Manual if you have Yeah, I'll have, I'll have everything in the description box. The, the link to the, um, the book and the website, Ken Goodman's website. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, we'll chat with you guys next week and have a good week. Bye, guys. Bye.